Blessed you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engage in the words of Torah. O Lord, our God, we ask that you make the words of your Torah sweet in our mouths and in the mouths of your entire people, the house of Yisrael. May we, our descendants, and the descendants of your people, the house of Yisrael, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, O Lord, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Blessed you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who chose us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed you, O Lord, who gives the Torah. Amen. All right. And Mr. Wright says, howdy, gents. He is in Florida, no doubt, with his toes in the water, even as we speak. That's a great thing. All right. How close is he to the water? That's a good question. Um, if his toes are in the water, right? He's in Jacksonville. Jacksonville is near water. He's on the ocean he says, side. He says close. He says close. There we go. His balcony is literally hanging over the balcony. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's already written close. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yes. he's, he says close. All right. Let's uh, let's go. We're going to go on lesson 19. And uh, we are actually looking at Paul's first missionary journey. Um, don't know if you noticed there where um, Barnabas is leading the troop. Barnabas and Paul are heading out. Barnabas brought Paul to Antioch. Barnabas is teaching him for a while. And then they go on this missionary journey. And uh, funny thing happens when they're talking to the proconsul. We got this uh, magician guy shows up, and uh, Paul Paul lays into him. What what did he do? Well, he does a miracle. He does a miracle. God does a miracle. Paul. Instigates, I guess, and uh, makes the guy blind. Yeah. Character's an interesting character, bar Jesus. Um, what's intriguing is that he's apparently labeled as a Jewish false prophet. Yeah. Which is different from being a magician. We've run into a couple of magicians so far. This guy is a different character. Well, he calls him Elemus the magician, because that's the meaning of his name. So. What does this what does Elemus mean? I, I would imagine magician, but hey, what do I know? Elemus. I thought. Proper name. There seems to be a. Um, it's an interesting showdown between him and Paul. The irony being that both of them have apparently have two names. And then, of course, Paul was blind at the start of his exactly. experience. Exactly. So, so. He, he understands that one. So, Bar-Jesus, his name in Greek is Bar-Yesus. Actually, Bar-Yesus is how you would say it. And Bar is Aramaic for the Hebrew Ben. So, son. Yesus. Jesus, yeah. son of Yeshua in, in uh, Hebrew. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought that was pretty ironic. His, uh, his first deal was being turned blind himself, so maybe he thought that would help this guy. <laughs> we, don't, we don't actually hear from him. Does he think that that's the formula that you go through? Maybe that's it. Blindness, and then your eyes are opened. I like right. it. That could work. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how, uh, how well my map did there. It looks pretty tiny on my iPad, but you can see they traveled, uh, traveled a good bit there. A very long distance across the ocean. Yeah, yeah. It's important to note that this is like, at least based on what I've been reading in Acts, this is really far. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they went up to Antioch, up into like kind of the Syria region, but they haven't really left the area. They've barely left Israel 
proper, right. so to speak. But then they so get on the boat. This is a pretty big deal. Yeah. So Cyprus, very cool. Then from Cyprus over to Pamphylia. And that's, uh, man, just the boat ride alone. But then they're up and back and forth and, and all over the place. So let's, uh, let's take a look at this, uh, this particular deal. So I, I would bring up uh, on page 30 in the, uh, in the study guide, we get the uh, later ghetto. Sounds like a family showing up. Yeah. Later ghetto, we get the word liturgy from that. Aha. Uh -huh. I think they'll get it. There we go. All right. What do we got here? Four, this right here. Right. This is, yeah, this is an uh -huh. actual meeting now. Let's pull them back there and line up. How's the car? It's Word gets around the city. It's you know? okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's going to take a little work. Thank you. Now, for those of you listening from afar, the Martins have arrived, and now we truly can begin. For those of you who are in a praying mood uh, in the morning, Mr. Uh, Mr. Upham has a cold, sneezing, chills, fever, meals, so... Uh, Definitely pray for him. Good, good, good. All right. Uh, for you, those of you in the uh, cheap seats back there, we're on page 30 of the study guide. Uh, just getting into Acts 13 and verse 2, uh, where the, the we get our word liturgy. So uh, if, you're, uh, if you're looking at the scripture, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so on the Holy Spirit pulls them aside. Um, that word for worship is letter geo, where we get our word liturgy. And they're in Antioch, not in Jerusalem. They're not near the temple where most people would consider liturgical prayer and worship to be going on, since much of the worship in the temple is actually laid out in Leviticus and so forth. So um, how do you how do you understand that? Well, so, because they, they are still calling things outside of Jerusalem and outside of Israel, like synagogues, like mm -hmm. they're going and preaching in synagogues where mm -hmm. there are Jews, the, the assumption, of course, is that the practice of the Jews doesn't differ too much from place to place, Good. Uh, including big things like mm -hmm. liturgy, mm -hmm. like prayers, like the what the building's called. Those are like big things that pretty much don't change. I'm sure there's differing minhag among the things, but mm -hmm. I think that's one that was pretty much standard. Sure. You Good. called yourself a Jewish community, you had liturgy. Right, and, and therefore some type of liturgical layout of how your mm -hmm. worship service went. Um, in fact, the, the description in, uh, in the apostolic writings in the Gospels of the master going into the synagogue and, and actually being given the scroll of Isaiah. The fact that when he was done reading it, he sat down and began to, these are all clues as to how second, uh, first century uh, worship was done in those days. And exact quite same, frankly, it's very close to what's going on here. Our readings too. You bet. The Torah and the prophets are read and then afterwards 
that's when they ask Paul to yeah, say some things. Exactly so, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a consistency there. And also here, you think about uh, we're thinking about praying and fasting. These go hand in hand in Judaism. I mean, yeah. if you've ever come across one of those, um, you know, second, you know, fifth, and sixth, yeah, fourth, yeah. fifth, seventh month right. um, fasts, there's these huge chunks of extra prayers for almost all of them. Right, right. Um, and then, of course, also the um, I think it's Chabad does the Yom Kippur Kitan, which is like the they would do a fast the day before Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and um, that fast also includes like pages of extra prayer. So what's interesting about this to me, and the thing I had never noticed before, I never thought about before, is that it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I guess in my mind, I've always put this in a very like modern, almost charismatic look to it, where like, you know, they're in there, you know, fasting and swaying while Paul plays the guitar, and, you know, in the midst of one of those lie, 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 lie moments, you know, God just speaks to them, you know? I never thought of they're in the middle of holding their siddur, you know, yeah. quickly trying to pray through yeah. Yeah. this prayer that they prayed, you know, at least once a year for the last sure. how many years. Because this and all is of a sudden, Apparently, the Holy Spirit like interrupts their prayers, or as soon as they're finished, it's like, by the way, I want you to send Paul. And if it's a fast day and not necessarily, I and mean, it doesn't say, but if it were to be a fast day, that's normally well. Like Yom Kippur Kitan is something that's done as a, like a holiness type thing. Mm-hmm. The other fast days, a lot of them had to do with, with sad events. Sure. So it's very intriguing just the context that, that, that apparently the Holy Spirit speaks to them to send them on this journey. Um, at the very minimum, it seems like this is an indication that they were extra devout. I agree. And I agree. God answered yeah. them. Yeah. Just the fact that they threw in the fasting thing leads me to believe that as well. Um, what I questioned was, you know, we pray together individually and we pray individually while we're together right so it's a it's a combo thing uh and i i love it and i i love for us to get together and and pray um i wasn't raised charismatic i wasn't raised pentecostal um my uh my background is is methodist and boring so i mean i really does how did, how did that work? Did, was there an audible voice? Did, did God speak out loud? Did the Holy Spirit was do it that? Was tongues? Did you understand it? Yeah. Does or, it hear? <laughs> or was it potentially that each man heard the Spirit in his heart as he was praying? And they all looked up and said, both of them? Hmm. And they're like, yeah. Barney? Come on. Paul? Could have been. Uh, I don't. I don't think we have a an understanding there of exactly how it happened, but we got it. So, uh, so there you are. Do you know what the Greek for sad is there? Uh, I can tell you in a in a in a moment of time. Stand by one second, sir. Lego. Lego. To speak. Uh-huh. Yeah, that would be to say, to speak, to tell. Um, to make an address or a speech, uh-huh. so it, it would definitely imply an out loud kind of deal. Right. You bet. Not to feel. Not to feel, or or some kind of sensing, or hair on the back of the neck. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't interrupting though. Or the tag That's, on your shirt. Because it, it does say then after fasting and praying, they, that was when they carried out. Yeah. What was said. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing that like they didn't interrupt, 
the fasting and the praying. Yeah, I, I think also to that you know, send them out. Yeah, to Scott, to your point, we. I mean, are we all thinking that the scriptures inspired? Okay, so, so evidently we know exactly what the Holy Spirit did say. So, that sort of takes out. He heard him say. I heard him say. No, we didn't say that. Oh, oh, yeah. It was more of probably an out loud deal, which is astonishing, quite frankly. With, 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 it fits totally within the um, the narratives of the day. I mean, Talmudic stories are oh, I'm not full, but it's not unusual exactly. to hear a voice from sure. heaven. In yes, yeah, and of course, they've already heard voices from heaven just right. in the past 30, 40 years, right? Um, just out of what we've read. It seems rare to me that the Holy Spirit says, usually if there's like a spoken voice, it's referred to as God. God, yeah. The vat cold, the, the voice God. from above. Yeah, it's a good point. I also so like the word strange. I in there. Oh, for the word that I have called. I have called yeah, God. which... Just, it, it ties that Godhead together. You bet. Mm -hmm. So yeah. much. That's good. That's good. Hmm. All right. I wonder what caused them to say Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, well. Well, I think the Holy Spirit, I mean, Holy Spirit is a term used for prophecy, like we talked about before. Um, and I think in some cases, uh, I want to say in Judaism, even it is comparable to the bot kol concept. Right. Because the bot kol, the term daughter's voice literally translated, really just refers to a voice from heaven. Right. Which generally, which generally should be God. Which generally <laughs> should be God, or or, or on, be, on behest of God, yeah. if not God directly. So, um, I mean, that's the idea, that's the whole, that's the, the I'll say legend, maybe too strong for the wrong word there, but the story of the Joshua and, um, the, and Eliezer, where Eliezer has a disagreement with Sanhedrin over a halakhic matter, mm -hmm. and he goes through all the different things as to why he's right, and they're all miracles. And then he ends with a bot coal that says, Eliezer is right. You know, that's the other thing. You know, the Hillel voice, right? So Hillel, you know, the, the reason why we follow Hillel and not Shammai, according to tradition, is because a, a voice from heaven came and spoke and said, Hillel is right in all his decisions. That's right, yeah. So, cool. So, 13.4, they're actually sent out by the Holy Spirit. And there we go. So, good with, stuff. With full stomachs. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> that might be why they waited till left. They were done fasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so just a, just a quick thing. The, the proconsul was astonished, and he believed. What was it that blew him away? Was it the miracle? Was it the fact that Paul was able to cause this guy to get blind? Um, I think it was. Yeah? Let's check what the Scripture says. We've got uh, 1312. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at what? Teaching of the Lord. The mm -hmm. teaching of the Lord, mm -hmm. which is not the miracle that Paul did. is not the fact that this guy is groping around trying to find his way out of the building, but, uh, but rather the teaching of the Lord. So uh, where did he hear the teaching of the Lord? I mean, the sermon doesn't start until he gets to the next place, right? So... Where do you hear the teaching of the Lord? Uh, when they, uh, I think it was, no, 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 I don't know, I'm making sense to see. Uh, proclaim the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. Yeah. Yes. They proclaim the word. 
they got up there and they started preaching in the synagogues, which was their habit. And what, they're not making this stuff up. They're proclaiming the word of God. And that's the teaching that evidently uh, this man of intelligence uh, heard. And, uh, he is so bold. <laughs> is that Paul? Just, yes. Yeah. I mean, like you, the, you read that, and you're like, man, you could totally see that play out. Like he starts talking, and he's always, always bold when he talks. You and son then, of the devil. Well, and then somebody else is like, well, I don't know about that. You know, this other guy starts like chiming in, and then all of a sudden, like Paul says, looks intently at him. You know, and just like lays it into him. It's he looks like, intently cool. at another guy later on. We're going to get into it a little bit, but you're right. He's uh, he's he does not mess around yeah. and, I, and I think that that I, that was kind of what I was thinking of when it said astonished at the teaching that like Paul exercised probably the the best and greatest demonstration of like authoritative teaching that exactly. they have probably seen exactly. ever yeah like he because it, 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 it actually like does things to people when they oppose it like that's right. like the power of this yeah. word that he is teaching yeah Brock says that Paul doesn't do anything like uh, uh, in half measures, he's he's just all in, hundred mm. percent. Did you see that this is where Paul kind of comes of age? Mm -hmm. Did you notice that in the text, right? So we're Barnabas, 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 and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, and Barnabas, Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, and now you uh, you see Paul looks intently, strikes the guy blind, wins this guy over to Christ, and then in thirteen thirteen, Paul and his companions. We don't even need to mention Barnabas anymore. He's just a companion. of that's right that's right so this is uh this is where john leaves and returns to jerusalem that uh that's going to cause some problems later on we're going to read about there um we're back to uh back to the guide in number four uh paul's now bringing in his sermon and uh it just pretty much like like stephen he's going to stand up and Say what happened. Sort of a little history deal. But think about the context. Uh, this, is about me, this, you, this is what's so cool about this, about this sermon. Just reading through it again and thinking about it. So he's, they're at the city. Oh, wait, wait. Do we all remember P Stevens? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got a history. It's like a little Bible history right. book, right? And you can just take that it, and you've got, well, you know, just skip Genesis to Second Chronicles. I mean, you got it right there. So Paul doesn't, uh, Stephen seems to be doing it to uh, lay out his qualifications as well as uh, fold in a really brilliant midrash mm -hmm. on rejecting the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Paul, in my opinion, is starting where he's starting quite possibly because of having to do with the Torah portion that week. I mean, he's, it's in the middle of the Torah service, or as soon as the reading is done. It's on Shabbat. He, as they're finished reading the Torah and the prophets, he stands up. He starts in the Torah. Right. Um, there's, I mean, it would be, it'd be, it'd be, it starts pretty generically talking about the Exodus, so it could be anywhere in the Torah, really. Um, and then he proceeds to dive into um, focusing on David specifically. Right. He um, jumped real quick. Yeah, really quick. And his his goal, obviously, is because he's trying to tie um, the prophet promises to David to Yeshua. And that's where he's going with all this. But there are, David is a popular reference in the prophet readings today. Mm -hmm. And again, of course, their cycle was different than ours. I don't know where they were reading, but... Um, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if David is a topic of the readings that day, During the day sure. which is why he'd be, you know, keying in, because he glosses over things really quickly. Of course, they know the story, but at the same time, it makes even more sense if it kind of folds into what they've been talking about. And, and we need to remember that in, um, in Stephen's sermon, they're not in the synagogue. 
right? Mm-hmm. right. They're in like a Sanhedrin-like kind of dealio. So here we've got a synagogue uh, thing. Um, what was the master's justification that uh, David was not the Messiah? What did he say? He quoted. What? His flesh did rot. In, no, in that's that's what Paul says. Okay. What did Yeshua say when he was questioned about whether or not he was the Messiah? Do you remember? Yes, I'm trying to remember how to say it though. The Lord said to my, my Lord. Lord. That's it, my right, yeah. right? So, who's he talking to that he calls him Lord? Right? Mm-hmm. So, Yeshua, in order to demonstrate who the Messiah is, that he is related to David, but not David, and greater than David, goes to the scriptures. And what does Paul do? Same deal. He's bringing up David, perhaps because they were talking about David that day in the synagogue, or because it's uh, it's it's a good way to to jump right into it, and he and he does that. What else did you see? I think he, he wanted to bring up Saul, right? And he has to talk about David if he talked about Saul. <laughs> yeah, I I thought it was really cool that he begins with a distinction that sort of goes back to your point about yeah I don't I don't these don't sound like like legit converts to Judaism like we think of it today mm-hmm. because he makes a distinction between men of Israel and you who fear God yeah like you who are among you why would you would just say you brothers or yeah all of Israel if yeah. you considered them like real Jewish converts but it's obvious that there is a distinction here yeah. And I think I mean that's like one of the coolest descriptions as as like in our faith I was to talk hear about that later, yeah. from somebody God fears. to be like yeah they fear God like mm-hmm. because it's like yes that you get it that's the point like we're not trying to replace you you know we're just we fear we God. just fear God yeah right? amen the uh, the key word in Paul's dissertation if you will is savior that God has provided. Savior, and that's the word soter in Greek. And we get the word soteriology, the study of salvation, right? So that's what the Savior brings is salvation. That's his focus, mm-hmm. salvation. And mm-hmm. that seems to be different, I think, than Stephen's deal. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. Stephen's definitely focused, I think, on authority. Yeah. Stephen's goal is to show that Messiah. Because Stephen's issue, because he was doing it for the beef, so Stephen's issue is that the leadership of Israel, who are the end-all, be-all when it comes to determining these things, have said that he's not the Messiah by mistake. Stephen's got to prove that somehow. So his goal is to argue that the leadership doesn't always get it right, and he uses Moses as the example. Saul is coming from, or Paul is coming from a totally. Yeah, he's Paul now. Yeah, I know. Comes from a totally different perspective. He he's got he's he's amongst friends at this point. His goal is to tie in and say this is proof that he's the Messiah, and that Messiah is as you're talking about this is the savior character. What I think is most fascinating to me, and this is something we've talked about a little bit before, is that um, okay, so in the past Peter's sermon and um, and to some degree Stephen's, but especially Peter's comments to the Jews. There's always, and, and Saul does this too here to some degree, there's almost like this assumption about messianic qualities because Paul, at the end of this rather lengthy sermon, ends with, um, 
you know, he says, towards the end, he says that, uh, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is free from everything from which you could not be freed by the Torah of Moses. I actually wrote that down. So, We're going to go to that next. Go ahead. Nice segment. Verses 38 and 39 are, are what, I mean, nowadays the pastor would spend 15 minutes and three points on those two verses. Paul condenses what I would say to modern Christian theology is the most important component of Messiah's activity into two verses. It seems to me that this is assumed that people already kind of get this, or at least that there's a dis disagreement on messianic qualities, and there's enough knowledge about this that all he has to do is prove that Messiah is, this is Messiah, and Messiah is a top-notch dude because he resurrected from the dead, just like God promised. Well then, boom, obviously. So now all I have to do is just say, oh, and by the way, those are the things that he's supposed to do. Yeah, he does this too. Move on now. Right. It's just a, it's a, a quick jump to the, to, the, to the final line. Because, I mean, Romans, he spends literally chapters going over oh, yeah. these things. Yeah. So the, I, I guess the point is, again, I think we talked about before, there's some who would argue, I think, that um, the gospel seems to evolve and that Paul's letters represent a different gospel than what the disciples are preaching. I completely disagree with that. It's all about the context. Paul's letters are almost exclusively written to Gentiles. They have no idea what's going on. When Paul and Peter speak to Jews, they're saying the same message, but in a much simpler format because right. they have an assumed audience. Exactly right. They, they're already studying the Torah. They already know. That's good. Excellent. I love, I love how often he uses the Psalms, too. Yeah. It's like two or three different times, and it's like, man, that is so cool. It's you know like, I like that he said he, the second song. And I looked, and it, that is the second yeah. song. It's still the second song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he, it's like he reads the Psalms with his, like, Messiah glasses on, yeah. where it's like he can just see where David is referencing, like, where David's being prophetic, and right. when he's right. being... Uh, just joyful or singing or something like that because yeah. the Psalms can I, I don't know I've never really thought about them as a go-to place for like points for proving that's, Yeshua is the Messiah and that, the resurrection right? the Lord said to Milo that's right out of the Psalms yeah that's right out of the Psalms yeah. too that's true but I, I think this was this was I mean he he knew his scripture very very well now let's bring up Psalm 2 you know it says there uh, today awesome. I have begotten you're my son today I have begotten Paul ties that to the resurrection. How is that? John MacArthur used to preach, he, I don't know if he still has his position, but uh, he used to preach that uh, Yeshua was always God, but he was not the Son until he was born. Then he was the Son. Okay. I don't really get the distinction or why you want to spend any time on that, but um, Paul is is implying here that he wasn't the son until he was begotten, and he was begotten at the resurrection. So, you disagree? Um, I, I, I disagree with the part that where you tied, he wasn't the son until... Today, today I've begotten you. No, he just said, you are my son. Yes. That statement stands on its own. All right. Today but, I have begotten you. Is another statement that stands on its own, but okay. I agree with you, that refers to the resurrection. Yes. Not a birth. Sarah. Agreed. Not a uh, birth. Not a not a physical birth, but a representation 
You are my son, present tense. Today I have begotten you, present tense. I'm just wondering, what does that mean? Theologically, what does that mean? For me, what does that mean? I'm not arguing with you. I agree with you. It's definitely a resurrection point. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if, if MacArthur still believes that he wasn't a son until he was born as a man... Um, perhaps we would move on from that point. So well, get him on the phone. Maybe I mean, that's <laughs> oh, John, John. <laughs> you know, oh, wait now. Verse 39, Brock says, verse 39, everything that you could not be freed by the law of Moses seems that Paul is indicating you can be freed from things via the law. You know, we're going to get that. <laughs> he wants a pair of Messiah glasses. Um, we're coming back to that, Brock. So hang on that thought. And if I don't come back to it in a minute, if we um, start jump selling on. the... We would make the same delivery. You want to you want to see the Messiah? You need these glasses. Now read the scriptures. I said like it's right from the Oral Roberts. That's right. Nineteen ninety five. But if you order right now, you'll get two pairs. That's right. That's right. I can sell you the handkerchief, but that's right. The glasses. All right. So 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 any other comments there on the begotten? But actually, I think one thing is you have stirred up some controversy. I think in <laughs> um, because you're never a controversial person, right. but um, in 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 arguing that the uh, you know Yeshua is the man God character in a very physical literal sense is incorrect. Mm. That his birth story is one of miracle, mm-hmm. in which God puts himself in fleshly form, but that it's not like you know, there's some sort of Superman quality. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know exactly what to say there. We, the we put is, it so nicely that yes, we've that, got that, so that we, thing that we talked about. So the point is that like um, you've, you've argued that maybe it's possible that he's actually, in a physical sense, completely Mary and Joseph, that there's no other component there, Yes. Um, and that even though Mary and Joseph don't conceive him the normal way, that God is able to miraculously move some stuff from here to there. Mary. There That's the idea. So the point, though, is to get to that, is that this verse, the way that... Paul is arguing this does almost seem to imply that to some degree Ooh, because actually he's done a little this, midwife thing. Because if you do this story three th- throughout Paul, I was noticing this actually as I was reading this. Paul is, I would almost say, um, borderline. I would say dismissive, but almost borderline dismissive of Yeshua's early life, and just as the Gospels really are. And that's not to say that it's not important. It's like we pick up at thirty, but it's like, and what yeah, happened before it is, the birth story is simply to emphasize the miraculous nature of his coming. That he is in fact coming from God, mm-hmm. and then we basically lose track of him. We have that one brief temple story, which is almost just kind of like a, like a, um, almost like a foreshadowing, or, or showing that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Right, but, and yeah. that's basically it until his ministry starts. And Paul takes the same tact. If you look in the in the story in the account, the way he says it, he says, "Of this man's offspring, again David, God has brought to Israel a savior, Yeshua, as he promised before his coming." John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance. Well, wait a minute, Yeshua's already alive. So Paul's point is that the birth story, or well, I'm not saying his point. I'm saying that Paul's implication mm-hmm. is that the birth story of Yeshua, while not irrelevant, I don't want to, I want to diminish right. that. I'm not trying to say that. Sure. It's that it's not the point of why he's here. His coming is the establishment of his ministry. Until he starts ministering, his presence on earth is borderline irrelevant because he's not doing anything. I would go even further and say that he's, he's trying to bring the whole story to the resurrection. Well, right, of course, that's, and that's the well, yes, to some degree, because that's his point that he's right. going to make. That's, but, that's the but I'm saying though that like even the gospels seem to emphasize, de-emphasize Yeshua's early life. So 
I think the reason I, the reason I'm trying to get to this is there is a tendency I think sometimes in the church in in around Christmas time in particular yeah. to make this as though this is the, like the point. This sure. is the most important well, part. Isn't, isn't Christmas more important than Easter? I mean, I mean, I remember there was one year and I thought this was actually really cool. There was a Christmas pageant or whatever that they did at Carl Baptist Church many years ago, and the point of the Christmas pageant was the point is the cross. They're like, he only came because he was he going to, to die. die. Yeah. He didn't come to be born and be this, you know... Um, Math whiz. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But the point is that, like, that that focus on the birth story definitely... I'm trying to really tread lightly here, but it definitely true. has a pagan feel to it yeah. because it's got that man-god element. Not to say that's not true, but, yeah. but, but that's the focus. That's the focus. Whereas Paul's focus is clearly Yeshua's um, presence, his mission on Earth. Which culminates in his resurrection. Sure, and John brings that out in spades, right? By by doing the whole parallel back to the Genesis. Account. Right, John skips the birth story completely. That's it. It's not even there. For you younger gents, Bell and the Dragon, you'll find it in the Catholic Bible. Very cool stories about a younger man. Very cool. Um, miracles turning stones into birds and stuff like that when he's a grade school or in the synagogue. Not, what that's about the earth bread. into bread? Where do we no, go? yeah, no, that's, that's conflated. <laughs> All right, so that was good. It was good. Um, more comments on that before we move on? There's not, there's not a whole lot to say on that other than the focus is on the resurrection and that's the key for Paul. Got it. Um, Brock brings up verse 39, uh, and I, I wrote that down as well. Um, what can not, what can we not be freed from via the law? If you've read the book of Hebrews there, we've got, we've got two different priesthoods and we've got that this priest constantly every year has got to go in, but this priest doesn't go in every year. He's one time. You know, there's this big comparison. That's the priesthood, the work of the priest. What is it, and the writer of Hebrews actually goes through it, what is it that we cannot be freed from with the Torah? Would it be the full forgiveness of sins? As I would, I would argue. Covering. I would argue with you about the covering versus forgiveness. I mean, well, clearly the scripture says that I have forgiveness of my sins, but in in the Torah. But it's, I think in the Torah is through action, and kind of like in Catholicism, once you've done the sin, you have to go back and ask for forgiveness for it. Whereas mm -hmm. a believer in Yeshua is that salvation that you still have to ask for forgiveness. We have to ask for forgiveness, but isn't that to forgive the sin so that you are kind of like caught back up as nobody in divorce for is to try and um, like put your sins behind you for a salvation for a form of salvation? Whereas I'd say in the apostolic writings is more of you accepted Christ, then you have that salvation to come. My am, am I saying that correctly or am I uh, saying I, it wrong? Let me let me rephrase it and see if I got what you said. Are you saying that the works of the Torah with regard to forgiveness for sins, Yom Kippur, as you mentioned, the sacrifices and so forth, have to do with my body and ability to 
draw near to him physically while I'm on this earth, and that has nothing to do with my place in the world to come. And that the apostolic scriptures teach that we have salvation through the Savior who can give us a place in the world to come. Is that what you're saying? Because if that's what that's you're saying, actually what I was trying. I to agree with that. That it's a little so more eloquent. Question, but yes. The question was confusing. Saying freed from. Well, yeah, I didn't say anything. Paul said it, right? I don't think that's what he's referencing. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, how can he be freed from what? What do you mean freed from? This is like a fixing of something yes. that the Torah can't fix. Yes. But not a expectation of something to come. The blood of bulls and goats. Can can't never take, take that's what away. I just said. Basically, I said it's a. I said that's a, what I said basically. <laughs> a complete forgiveness of sins. Well, then see, that's again where I have to stop you and say there is no partial forgiveness of sins described anywhere in the Torah that I can find. Not anywhere. You well, have what, forgiveness of sins, but that has saying? nothing to do with life in the world. To what come. were you saying as far as partial partial forgiveness? Uh, more, like, well, so so. so you, if you commit a sin, you have a, there's an expectation set out in the Torah of things that you need to do in order to just like go back to the temple, in order to, in order to actually begin participating sure. again. But then that doesn't necessarily fix your relationship with Hashem. It could. It could, that's true. But I think the And for the, the devout, I would argue that it did. I, I'm I'm thinking that you don't think well in in a good relationship. Where's the in between though? All right, hang on one second. I got Jonathan, then I got Scott. Stand by. I'm with you, and I'm and I love the fact that you're bringing it up. Jonathan, what do you got, bud? Reading through David Stern's commentary, he says that there are in the Mishnah. It says there's things that the Torah. Okay, for first the Torah has a few things that you cannot be cleared from. So the Mishnah says that there are six of those things. It's that you are cut off from Israel. And with those, it is, let's see, idolatry, blasphemy, necromancy, sure. uh, things like that. They're in the Torah. Right. No question about it. But we certainly wouldn't say that the Torah has changed no. or that it has been nullified. So... I can't be freed from those under the Torah. I certainly can't be freed from those in any other way. I'll be cut off from my people. So I would say that's probably not where he's going, although that's clever. I just don't like scary. Well, go ahead. <laughs> so if, if we can replay the conversation just a little bit. Yeah. Greg said that the act... Well, wait, let's back up one more to well, what I'm I said. To you. I'm getting okay, to you. Okay. Greg said that the act of getting cleansed by the blood yes. was not taking away sin, was not bringing you, was not restoring your relationship to Hashem. Did I, did I the, the, catch right. that correctly? Right. And then you said... So, so, so catch what he said again? <laughs> Oops. The actual... Go ahead. Well, so you could, you could kill somebody and follow the Torah yeah. completely... You, you may have touched a dead body at that point, so you go through the cleansing for that. You, you escape to the, uh, the city of refuge. Yes. You can do all of that and be perfectly justified according to the Torah. Yes. But that's sort of temporarily. Really? 
because you haven't fixed your relationship with Hashem. How do you know has, because could none I of those have, things, Could I have fixed my relationship? You could have. Okay, but so let's what assume that, that I did. could have is then something could that's be, outside then could be of the Torah. I don't think there's a commandment to confess your sins yes. for forgiveness. No, more, most assuredly. I think the Torah says the way that you acquire forgiveness is confession, I but it's not, I don't think it's a direct mitzvah. I think, like that one of the, the, I think the Talmud is very clear that if you don't come with the right attitude, and there are stories after stories in the Midrash, if your attitude is wrong and you're not right with God, then you, you, you do not get forgiveness. Because you need to be right with God. So, right, right. Saying and none of that. I am saying that you can be right with God under the old covenant. So are you saying that if but I that, come with the wrong you, attitude and I do the things that I'm supposed to do, it's worthless? And the Torah agrees with that, and so do the sages. Go it ahead. It takes the repentant heart. Yes, it does. To restore the relationship and, with God. Yes. But you can be. You can go through the acts of the Torah yes. and restore your ability to. No approach. question. No question. However, it, you still. Yes. You still, under just the Torah, before you learn about Yeshua, you still can repair your relationship. So, and turn with your heart. With the repentance. Absolutely. Yeah. But that is not something that Paul is referring to here, that you cannot be freed from. You can be freed from that under the yeah. Torah. What can you not be freed from? What is it the writer of Hebrews said? <clears throat> the cleansing of your conscience and giving you actually life in the world to come. There is no one that will have life in the world to come unless they're under the new covenant. And the new covenant includes Yeshua and the blood that he shed on our behalf. Unless you're under that priesthood, I got you. You cannot have a place in the world to come. That's what the law can't do for you. Give you life. And that's where we get this whole argument of, well, wait a minute, I'm keeping all the commandments. That's great. You can keep all the commandments all you want. That, but keeping the commandments, Romans, right, is not going to do it. Works of the law by those you cannot be justified. That's what can't, you can't get life in the world to come from the Torah. You can only get that through the chosen. Yes, <laughs> First off, to clarify, I think Jonathan's uh, comment from David Stern, I don't think he's necessarily saying that those things are no longer cutting you off from Israel, but there's this idea that Yom Kippur only applied to sins that were unintentional, mm -hmm. and therefore there were certain categories of sins that you could not obtain forgiveness through the Torah method, mm -hmm. and so Yeshua somehow applied to those as a special case. I don't necessarily go that direction either, only because, and I, I agree with you, I think the issue is forgiveness is a more universal concept mm -hmm. and it's a more cosmic. Mm -hmm. However, But it is cool, what's turns out. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Uh, that being said, I disagree with all of you as to what Paul is talking about here. I don't think <laughs> Paul's... Wait, 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 wait. I will... I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. I just want to give everybody an opportunity to let what I said sink in. And for those of you who agree, you can nod at me, that's cool. So we're going to ask now, or is he going to go ahead? Well, no, and we don't, we don't agree with you. I agree we with you. Don't think that's you just Paul don't think saying. what Paul's saying. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. That's that is fine. that is amen, yeah. brother. Okay. That is the yeah. only I was way wondering if there were any believers in the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. All right. No, we all believe right. that. They all believe it. You just don't think that's what Paul's saying. I don't agree with you exactly on that. All right, so where are we going in the script? Okay, so we're on verses 38 and 39. So it says... 13, Acts 13, 38, 39, for those of you listening in Gastonia. Brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Boom. That's exactly what you just so eloquently described. 
That's forgiveness of sins. That's why we need Yeshua for forgiveness of sins, because the Torah does, a, does apply to that, but not in that way. So we got you there. Well, that, but that's the next said. verse, that's, and that's what both of you said in your own ways, and I agree with both of you, and I, um, the point is that uh, the next verse is, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And the point that I guess I'm thinking is that feels like a second, well, the Greek word there, freed, is justified, which may be the same thing you're talking about. I guess in my mind it was also bringing to mind the idea of that in Hebrews it talks about you could not be um, cleansed from a conscience. Right. Um, kind of tying in as well, and Hebrews references this, the idea of God changing the heart. Sure. The, the, the circumcision of the heart, the whole thing. And all of this that. Is the, this is the new co covenant of which I spoke from Jeremiah 31. Because it seems to be, and this is something that Paul does seem to argue later, I think in Romans, this idea that the Torah, um, the Torah is what God uses to do righteousness, but the Torah doesn't necessarily change who you are on the inside. You sure. need God to do that. Sure. Um, and so I, I was seeing it as step one, part one, forgiveness of sins. Part two is um, a, a, a spiritual uh, enlightenment, if you will, that will break that heart of stone, give you that heart of flesh, and so on. And that, and of course, we have to keep in mind throughout all of this. The only thing that changed here is that we had a better idea of what was going on. We've had a new revelation. I mean, to your point earlier, the, the sacrifices don't apply to the, the future and what I mean to the world to come and so forth. Does not imply that David and Saul and so on and so forth. Um, you know, David and Samuel. Actually, let's use some you know, better quality guys. David and Samuel and Joshua and Moses and all of them. They all burn in hell because, of course, they can't get to the world to come because all they had is the Torah. The point is that Yeshua has always been there. Paul is simply like taking the veil off and saying, okay, so that whole circumcision of heart thing, which God talked about in Deuteronomy, yes, and the whole forgiveness of sins thing, which has been, you know, it has always been there. This is exactly how it happens. Up until now, we just know that God would take care of it. Now we know how, and it's up to you to accept that. Just as in the past, we knew that God would bring Israel back to the land. Now we know how. And you better get your butt over there, basically, is the, the point. That, that subtle switch of the word from freed to justified actually makes it a lot easier to understand and tie back to the forgiveness and tie back to what you said in Hebrews. When I, that, that's where I think I was getting tripped up, is because freed does sound a lot like the classic Christian... Oh, well, you don't have to do anything about yeah. that with the yeah. law anymore. You've been freed oh, from that. Right, definitely right. not. And, right, yeah. exactly. And which I was trying to by, avoid. By the way, the word freed is not in the scripture. There is no Greek word translated for the word freed. It's not there. Just to throw that in. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, even, even John Gill in his, like, uh, commentary on this specifically uses the word justified yeah. many many times over and it's exactly what you were mentioning about that, that imputed righteousness and how that, that secures your place in the world to come belief in Yeshua and yeah yeah so just to make sure we stick the finger in the hornet's nest just a little bit more do I have to no, his name is Yeshua. Well, I was going to ask a question prior to Yeshua. Exactly. What does that mean for the rest of God's people? 
So how about Moshe Rabbeinu? How about Avraham Avinu? How about Adam? What would you say they get a buy for it? I don't those think there's may... any buys. I don't think there's well, any buys. No, 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 not a buy. But I'm saying for those who lived out their life to the best of what no, was given to them. Absolutely not. No? I like it. So if they I, followed the Torah and no, no, I, they I, did the sacrifices with the temple no, when it was available to them. Nope. That's the old covenant. The only reason the old why covenant we, stopped when, the the, old, when they died, right? No, no, no. The old covenant exists even to today. If, if you are doing the works of the law in order to be saved, you will perish in your sins. If you're doing the works of the Torah in order to draw close or near to the physical presence of God, great. If you're doing it following the works of the Torah in order to have uh, closeness to your fellow man, to have forgiveness of your sins, these are all good things. But it has nothing to, to do, do with, salvation. with salvation and life in the world to come. What does a physical change of the heart? And how does that happen? It is a work of God. And it is a work of man. We are told that God will circumcise our hearts. And we are told that we must circumcise our hearts. It is a two-way street. It is God who begins that work in you. And it is we who are commanded to... Uh, uh, complete, complete this work uh, as we as he started it. So it's a it's a joint revelation. Mm-hmm. Abraham, according to Yeshua, saw his day, saw Yeshua's day, and rejoiced in it. But he's the only David did. That's a that's a that's just a a a recognition that Yeshua made of Abraham when he was challenged about his age. David clearly saw the Messiah. Many of the patriarchs had this relationship. Where they were, it was explained to them that God would provide a savior. I personally don't think they had to know his name, but they knew it was salvation that they were getting, and oddly enough, it was salvation that they got. Was his name means salvation. Was it through a concept of understanding how? It's under, I think it's it's understanding that. You that the soul that sins shall surely die. That's a fact. I'm quoting this. I'm quoting God Himself. The soul that sins shall surely die. So now, what are you going to do? You, you want to spend eternity with God. You want a life in the world to come. You, you blew it because you sinned. That's it. You're done. How does that get fixed? If you believe that God will fix that problem and know that you cannot, and trust that He will, He will. As simple as that. Now, we certainly need to argue about different sides of the cross, right? They didn't know who it was. They just knew that he had promised he would send one. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, there's very little excuse. So if you talk right. to me about the Orthodox Jew Today. 40 years before the Master versus 40 years after the Master, that's a different argument in my mind. Right. But that's a different class. So... Last, this is a Christian quote, and yet I loved it so much. When I was in precept ministries in um, as a teenager at one of their summer youth camps, yeah. the summary that they came down on, um, I think it, was, it wasn't one of their main teachers, it was one of the, the lower level teachers who was teaching in a smaller class, that I thought was so great. It was basically to say that all the people up until Yeshua that believed, they believed whatever God had told them. They believed God would take care of it, and that was good enough. And I would say, I would argue that that's really still true, because it depends on the revelation you receive. 
I, I don't like the idea that we get into when we say you have to be a theologian to be a believer. Right. And sometimes... Or you have to say his name in, certain, in English. Yeah, or, <laughs> right. But the point is that, um, I mean, I believe that people who have severe mental disabilities will be in the world to come. In Amen. fact, they're probably more righteous than I am. Amen. And they get it. They don't need to know cross, before the cross, after the cross, resurrection, how it fits into the whole. All they know is God said he would take care of it. And I believe that he will. Amen. And the only reason, in my opinion, that only thing that I think has changed post-cross is that now there's something to reject. Yeah. More detail to reject, I should say. Because if you look at when God tells Moses, I will send a prophet like you to your brothers, he specifically says that they should listen to the prophet or he would hold them accountable, That's right. speaking of God. That's right. That was it. God doesn't say, I'll send you a prophet like Moses, and if you happen to not read that part of the Bible, you're, you're toast. Right. Or if you don't know his name, you're toast. It, That's mean, why I use the, the, the age of 40, right? It's 40 years before the Master, 40 years after. Because 40 years after the Master is pretty close to where we're at right now. But, we're reading at about 45, 46 years. So if you lived through the times of Yeshua and you rejected him, having seen with your own eyes, heard with your own ears, you're, you're in deep, deep beauty as far as I can tell. However, 100 years later, if you heard about a man who broke the Torah, taught his disciples to do the same, changed Judaism, wanted to destroy the temple, then the Torah itself teaches you this man cannot be the Messiah. So if you're still thinking God's going to provide a Messiah, I'm I'm thinking you're okay. Well, and take so is that, the, is that but that then allows or gives an opportunity for anyone in today's time to have knowledge of the Messiah, reject that idea, reject that the true Messiah, the true Messiah. The, they may not have heard about the true Messiah. Many of the Jews, the way that, it's explained to them, many of the Jews that you've met have no idea. All they've heard about is Jesus, who in the, in the titles of the Bible that people are trying to turn and show them, the very subtitle says, Jesus broke the Sabbath. Whoa, wait a second. This guy is supposed to be without sin. So we're getting, we're getting off track. But you ever but come I, do from, wanna, yeah. I do want to emphasize the importance of the, the point that we're getting at earlier, which is to say, believe that God will do it. And I think that today, I do not speak for how God handles Orthodox Jews. I have no idea how that works, and I don't pretend to. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's hired to Yeshua. But yeah, I, but my, that's but, that's uh, easier but, to deal but with. Like, yeah. like, but my point, though, is to say that um, there is definitely an element of Orthodox Judaism that not only, not only rejects a Christian pagan Jesus, but also rejects the Messiah of the Bible. There is definitely an element of Judaism today that does not see Messiah's work. Or the need for a Messiah. Or the need for Messiah. I'm with you. The way that I'm with you, the Bible describes I'm it. with you. So that's a different issue. That altogether. is a different issue. We're but, not talking but about But also today, you mentioned earlier people not knowing Yeshua's name in, you know, the, in the name itself. I would go so far as to say if you live in Meisharim, you speak Yiddish and Hebrew, you've never, this is in Israel, you've never been to anywhere in the West... It's entirely possible that you actually have never heard the name Jesus. 
depending on sure. you, who you've been exposed to. Sure. In that scenario, you're no different in my mind than these people are. Paul's showing up for the first time saying, hey, here's what happened. The poor guy that died two weeks before Paul got there didn't rot in hell because he was born after right. Yeshua was here. Right. I'm he didn't know. I'm with so I do think that there is a certain degree of you know, a grace element there. Well, I, It's different from what we're going to talk about when we get to Romans. Right. Different from the idea of the pagan islander yeah. who worships the sun I, and doesn't know any better and you know God gives him a pass. I, I think... I think we're, we're getting into a, a completely different theological track. Back to the thing, I agree with everything you're saying. What is it that we can't be freed from? What, what is it that the Torah is lacking? Is, I guess, a better way of putting it. Since the word freed is not really there. What is it that the Torah is lacking? Door to the world to come. I think there's a door to the world to come there, but I think you're on the right track. Second? More like a gate, not a door. Okay, that's fine. I think we, we need a little bit more. No, I was just I was going to ask you that question. Like if you translate that instead of freed, it says everything from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Justified is not there either. So. Well, I thought that word was there. Maybe not. 30 freed from everything. That's the word... Everything. What's, what's freed? There is no word freed. It's in italics? There is no Greek for the word freed there. No, I know, but... Oh, really? The word freed is not translated. It's been added in English to make it so easier. So there's no verb there at all? How does exactly the, right. Yeah, I was just saying, how does the sentence read? In, I would have to read it to you in Greek. My little you know, cheat sheet footnote just said it was the word justified, but that means... Yeah, this is the word that that is the second one. It says, to render righteous or such he ought to be. Mostly the, that's translated the first as justified. Freed. No, 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 the second. No, I'm, I'm telling you, freed. that's the first freed. There is no second freed. There's the first freed. The second freed is not there. It's been added. So what was the, oh, what was the, the first freed well, is there? Now, yeah, now, now read it. Now read it in, in English. Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be by the law of Moses. Exactly. So or just freed. Or free better is justified. Justified. Yeah, right? yeah. So so what is it that you can't be justified from or with from the Torah? What justification are you lacking in the Torah? Just the commandments themselves. That's what we just said, right? Right. I mean, right? From the, from, the, from the Torah itself, from just keeping the commandments, you cannot be justified fully. You can be justified here on the earth. You can be justified in your walk. You can be justified in your relationship with God, but you cannot be justified right. to have life in the world. The acts of Torah don't bring about faith. That's right. And the acts of Torah don't bring about regeneration. Brock writes, Oh, right. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Starting with the tabernacle, God seems to be setting up a parallel system of what is occurring in heaven. The laws, sacrifices, the temple, the tabernacle, etc., all in an effort to draw Israel to himself. If no action... I take, can grant me salvation. Why did he give the law? Messiah is necessary for us so we can enter heaven. And observing the commandments prepare, prepares us for how to live in heaven. What observing the Torah can free us from is a complete distance from Hashem 
And believing in Messiah gives us forgiveness of sin, thereby enabling us to get even closer to God. It's all about getting back to the garden state. Not to New Jersey. I agree, but I do want to make it clear that I don't think I'm going to be spending any time in heaven. I'm spending my time here on this planet. And when the Messiah comes and rules for a thousand years, he will regenerate this planet. Heaven is not my home, it's God's. You should join heaven now. And like everything else you said, Barack, well done. Just to clarify, one of the things that we were going back and forth on, it sounded like you were saying that you can have forgiveness of sins just from the Torah. Oh, there's no question. I can give you, quote you, chapter after chapter after chapter that talks forgiveness about forgiveness of sins, of sins. in the Torah, is the question. Forgiveness of sins for what purpose? Their sins will be, conv- will be forgiven. His sins will be forgiven him if he does this. His sins are forgiven. That's not the problem. Isn't the difference in the Torah that right. your the sins soul that sins shall surely die? Your sins are being forgiven of you in the Torah, so that you can, like you said, so you can continue to go back into and get closer to God. Well, that's right. Whereas, and but the and, soul that sins shall surely right. die. The it's, soul. If your body sins, you have forgiveness of sins. But the soul that sins shall surely well, die. Also, How does that get fixed? I always see. I always thought this as a more of a relational concept. So, if I am a judge, and you break the law by stealing something from me, I can forgive you, and you and I can be good, but the law still says you it have to go to prison. Payment. You have to pay for that. That's right. Even if I've forgiven you, there's another stat- status that's, that's outside right. of our relationship. That's right. That's so I've always seen Yeshua's exp- uh, expiation of our sins in the context of justice. Yeah. He solves the problem for why and how we can effectively be forgiven and certainly how we can ultimately spend eternity with Hashem when we do not deserve that. That's exactly right. However, the day-to-day... We're good. That's how... That's how that, and we achieve that through the Torah. The of the Torah. Which, in the Torah, in the temporal period, involves sacrifices. And I do agree with Judaism that says that today we achieve that forgiveness through, through prayer. prayer and through good deeds. Yeah. Um, David McDonald says the Galatians 3.16, actually 18, I don't have my glasses on. Thank you, David. The law cannot give us the inheritance of Abraham. There we go. So, you guys in the back row there are learning this, or are we getting this? Are we all agreeing here? It's going through many filters, but I'm getting it. Good. I think, I think we should be able to answer those who say, are you saying that you're saved by, by keeping the commandments of God now? Well, surely not. Keeping the commandments could never get a man saved. It can give me a great relationship. Believe. <laughs> right. It can give me a great relationship with God. It can get me forgiveness for my sins here on this earth, but it cannot give me a place in the world to come. And we get that. Well, and, yeah, and it's important, I think, to explain the levels of forgiveness that we were just describing. Because like you said, you could read through the Torah and think you're good to go. What, what else is there to fix? And aren't there Orthodox Jews that you know that think they're good to go because they are truly righteous? Right. Right. But I, but I think bringing it home to the, the point of the soul that's, is, that's, that's a really it. important yeah. distinction for sure. Yeah. yeah. I want to make sure we have time to address your whole Gentile flurry. Of oh, questions. yeah. Wasn't Which, that cool? quite frankly, I'm still confused as to what you were getting at. <laughs> no, wait, you were assuming I was trying to get at something. I was well, just, you know, yeah. thumb in the hornet's nest, right? Quite okay. Possible. So that was great, guys. That was number five. So... Six Gentiles are mentioned in Acts 13, 46, and 48. The Greek there is ethnos. So, we get a word ethnic. Uh, perhaps the best translated as nations to avoid confusion with goyim, which are literally non-Jews, as in Isaiah 9. 
One of the occurrences rendered as Gentile in Mark is Hellenus or a Hellenist. So do you think it's important that we know the difference between nations, non-Jews, and Hellenists, or what we would call now Greeks? Yeah, if we're going to understand details of what's going on. Okay. So you're not looking salvifically or something like that, but rather this group of folks, by the way, these were Greeks, did this, and this group of folks, these were God-fearers, non-Jews, etc., or these folks, these were Jews, or the, these guys were just flaming pagans. Well, if non-Jews um, came historic. to influence you, or yeah, if yeah. Hellenists came to yeah, influence yeah. you, then you Different know Hellenists have a certain mm-hmm, mm-hmm. flavor like, to what they're trying I to like do. It. You need to like distinguish it. between certain people, because you know, if, you, if you don't distinguish between certain people, you're going to get your facts messed up, and mm-hmm. you're not going to be following the right path. So mm-hmm. I think we should... So you don't know where they're coming from. Exactly. So Good. I seriously suggest we should distinguish these people. Okay. So what's the focus in this text? In, in this uh, first missionary journey? Is it the nations? Is it the Greeks? Or is it the non-Jews? If they're turning to the Gentiles to Seems preach like God's word, it'd be the non-Jews. So yeah. you're non-Jews. a non-Jews, which would be Goyim. You just said nations. I thought the other ethnos is used Ethnos more. is used more. Well, yeah, either one. Which is now it's more either one. like... More like the yeah, like it seems like the nations is is like a description of we're gonna basically cast a wider net mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and there might be some pockets there that are described like like differently. Some so, of these are described as God fears, some of these are described as devout converts. Right, right, right. Yeah. Where you, as you pointed out, it's just the word proselyte. Exactly. Um, so then those might be in the nations, but we're not we don't really know. Okay. So, can we agree that nations is normally translated as Gentiles in the scripture, right? Ethnos, Gentiles, pretty, 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 right? Yeah. Um, well, your question said Gentiles, non-Jews, Hellenists, and Greeks. I guess in Gentiles, maybe you meant Ethnos. Yeah, the Ethnos would be the Gentiles in my mind, right? But from the multiple choice, I chose non-Jews. Interestingly enough. <laughs> okay, so non-Jews would be more of what uh, we have some orthodox friends that in deference to us don't call us gentiles they call us non-jews because gentiles seems to be almost a slur to them that well, you, you what just, was it then you're just a gentile i don't know that's my question scott so are you making non-Jews. a distinction that non-jews are those who identify with jews but are not I'm, I almost I would I think where that's kind of where Greg was going but I would say that the non-Jew seems to at least understand that there is a God whereas the Gentiles appear to be ethnos the nations pagans uh, like I think Greg uh, Upham said last week my goodness I mean the idea that you're monotheistic is flabbergasting I mean, it's just, there's no monotheistic religion except Judaism. There isn't another one out there. So I think at least the way the Orthodox treat me today is they lean towards calling me or addressing me as a non-Jew rather than a Gentile, only because I have an acknowledgement of God and I'm, I'm in this weird 
no man's land. Yes, sir. And then you. How does how does Gentile translated throughout these verses? That's not all of almost them. every time. Yeah, I don't In, think including the verse forty-seven. I can look right now. Where he quotes from yes. the. Yes. Yes, That's interesting yeah. because I looked it up, and in Hebrew, that word is goyim, which is not the same as nations traditionally translated. Yeah, that's right. that's ethnos, right? Yeah, so they've twerked it a little bit, they, they, which is probably a, a you know Septuagint or or something well, translation. Could be, could be. But the point though is that like I think there's a certain degree of interchange there. Um, I think though the difference, in my opinion, the difference between using Greeks mm -hmm. and the difference between using Gentiles or nations. Mm -hmm. Um, in my mind, just had to do with with uh, cosmic versus individual. We're talking about the nations. With this this passage here, if you read it, is it take out the word Gentiles and replace it with the nations? Mm -hmm. This passage looks like a a watershed moment. I mean, it's not. It's let's, not. A, let's be clear for everybody in the room. This is a watershed moment. I mean, there's you, no question. You would not have a place in the world to come. If this did not happen, because well, keep in mind this is I want to I want I want to be careful what I say here. It's not a watershed moment in the sense that the Jews rejected God and therefore He chose the Gentiles instead. Oh, yeah. This is no a question. watershed moment in the sense that this is the first time, perhaps in human history, There's a that a religious no, well no not even that that a religious Jewish person told other Jews. We're preaching to the Gentiles. No, no, Before that, it was inside the little the Way movement, but it's a tiny little sect. Like, Paul is out here in the synagogue, or wherever he is, talking to a whole slew of Orthodox Jews over here saying, yeah, we're talking to them, and they're included. And when, so when it says no, the, no, the no, Gentiles... No, I, would argue, I would argue a little bit there. I mean, the Pharisees were known to send missionaries out to, to convert them. This is different. No. I, 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 I mean, get, the Gentiles I, rejoice. I, Clearly, they're hearing a different message. I get that it's different. What I'm saying is... And remember, you and I are saying the same thing, is that for me it's a watershed moment because Paul is recognizing that what he was set apart to do by the Holy Spirit, he's going to do now. He must do now. They have not, they don't want to listen, so he will go and preach this message of salvation to the Gentiles. And that, that's now, the Pharisees, I would argue, were preaching a message of salvation to the Gentiles. It may not have been the right one. But that's what they were preaching. You cannot have a place in the world to come unless you're Jewish, and therefore you need to convert. That right. was their message. Right. So it's the same thing that Paul was doing, but now he's got the true message of salvation, and he's turning from his own people and saying, you're rejecting the message. I'm, I'm going to Gentiles. That's a watershed moment because this establishes his ministry and allows us well, to become but, but that's a fulfillment of prophecy. Absolutely. Yes. The village well, kind of, yes. But I just want to emphasize here, this passage is almost always taken as though Paul rejects the Jewish ministry. We, point. we all agree that's not... No, 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 no. That's not even if you're not saying he's not rejecting the Jews, he doesn't even stop ministering to Jews. This is clearly, in my mind, if you read the context, to me, it seems like um, Paul is saying, you, right here, the 14, 15, 50, 100... 200 of you right here who rejected this message, the message was going to come, came to you first. You're not listening to it. It's going to these people also standing right here. It is watershed in the sense that this is like the, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like the inauguration, if you will, of a, of a, um, of a mission to Gentiles. Yes. But I do not think it is a 
closing the door on Jews, nor is it even a closing the door for Paul. I don't his think, next I don't thing think, to do is I don't to think anybody saying that. He goes to the synagogue every single time in every city. That's his first But this is what Christianity has always pulled. But Christianity the, we know is wrong. No, I know. But I'm saying that like when, when <laughs> but in Romans where God's where Paul argues that, you know, to the Jew first, all of the Greek, Judaism, uh, Christianity has always pulled this story as the that was when the Jews were first. They blew it. Moving on now. This was the Jews that were in that place blew it. This was, they did not speak for all of Jews. So agree. My question was going to be about was there a change in location? We just saw that Paul gave a spectacular sermon. Yes. And as I pointed out, specifically calls out and those men of Israel and those who fear God. Yes. As if there's two different people that are in the synagogue. Yes. And then he he's addressing Gentiles. They're they're they've apparently just come out of synagogue. I don't know if there's even a break here, but then now we have like this whole thing about you know Gentiles. And I'm one thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around is like is Paul going anywhere different than he used to go? Like physically, is, like physically has town? he like stopped going to synagogues and is now going to like like where? Where do All you right, even? So we're gonna we're gonna continue to read and. You're going to you know, get a little bit more here. Um, but I think you're going to find he always goes to the synagogue first, and then he goes and looks for Gentiles. Unless he goes to a city that doesn't have a synagogue. And he goes you know, to the Aragopagus. And he's, he's in a theater, an amphitheater, where he can talk to everybody. In Snathiatira, uh, is it? Where he meets Lydia down by the water. Because that's where they're going to pray, because they don't have a synagogue. He just assumes they're going to pray near the water. Why would you think that? Why would they pray near the water? For, mi- for a mikvah. Exactly. They've got to have a mikvah. And yet, most Christians think that baptism was created by the Christian church. So, all right. Was it, though? But, but what was your thought on the different words for Gentiles? Well, I'm glad you asked. On the bottom of my study guide, page 30, if you went with Gentile, which I did, maybe you did too, it appears that the whole thing is talking about ethnos. It's Gentile this and Gentile that and Gentile this over and over again, and there's very little. There's a couple of Greeks there that, you know, gang up on him at one point, but they seem to be a minority. It's the ethnos word that's used over and over again, and yet when you look in Romans, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Not to the Gentile. I don't get that. So, how do you how do you how do you deal with that in Romans two? The Jew first and also to the Greek. Again, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Three different times Paul uses Greek and not Gentile, or even devout non-Jew. How do you reconcile that? Because, quite frankly, I couldn't. Unless it's it boils right down to what Todd opened us with that just trying to kind of categorize people as to who he's talking to and perhaps where they're coming from, and if the whole world has been Hellenized, then maybe most of the people he's bumping into in this Greek area are not just Gentiles, but specifically Hellenized and are Greek. And maybe we're trying to make something more of it. So we find that today we that we're all Hellenized. And right. Even the way we teach our kids. Seems to be right? that those are the whole deal. 
Yeah. So those True are the philosophy two sides. Yeah. And the Greek philosophy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, so does that, does that make sense? I think so. I, I, kind of I couldn't come to, with anything better than that. I think it kind of goes back to some of what I was thinking is that it was just <clears> different. Um, I thought more like different words for different purposes that Paul is referring to Greeks. You, you quoted Romans twice there. Um, and he says it three times in just those two verses. Yeah, and that seems to me almost like, because Greeks, from what I understand, this may not be true, but it's what I've learned and been taught, was that Greek was a reference to like a, it was like the, the Greek world, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, that's, that's what we're saying. So generically. Yeah. And so Jews that versus That whole Greeks, mindset. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, but it's, but it's almost like Greeks was like the, well, if you're not a Jew, well, you're a Greek. Because there's not really another there's option. Not exactly. Whereas in the case of like the ethnos thing, I saw that the, the intentional, the use of Gentile in that passage was very intentional because, uh, and it shows up again at the end of our reading this week, at the end of Acts 14, because I saw it as salvation has come to the nations. Right. So they want to make it extremely clear it's not just going to the Greek world, so to speak, uh, even though maybe in that day and age it would have been understood what that meant. Right. The, the right. Luke, when writing this phrase, he specifically chooses one that makes it universal. Exactly because right. he wants to make it clear that the nations Nobody's are a group. Because the nations show up. I mean, Goyim, I think, is technically peoples, something to that effect. One way to translate that. But the point is that like the nations show up throughout the prophets and the Psalms as as a summary term that references everyone is not a Jew. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's think, right. Um, what you're saying sounds very... I mean... I get the impression Paul chooses his words wisely most of the time. <laughs> and, um, so over here, if he's saying to the Jew first and also to the Greek, he might be saying the Greek can actually believe and have salvation before they start to walk as a Jew. Um, That's possible. Over here, uh, they're saying we're turning to the nations. You know, mm -hmm. So he wouldn't say Greek right here. Could be. Could be. We'll have to see on that one. And to the point of like the place that he goes, I yeah. think it is cool that Acts 14 opens with, and they entered a Jewish synagogue, mm -hmm. and it was there that Jews and Greeks believed, mm -hmm. as if both were in the synagogue. Right. I think the, the I had never seen some of these like references to how unified the the, well, the people that feared God because sure. I think I don't think this is just referring to like just a ton of random Greeks ended up being in the synagogue these are probably or, God or that this too. synagogue was weirder than any other synagogue on the planet. right you're right I think it was just like in Jerusalem you had non-fearing Jews God-fearing Jews that yeah. were there that's yeah. that's really cool. but also I think like the, Cornelius. the incidents here in at the end of Acts 13 where the Jewish group in this one city gets mad at Paul and Paul you know Dismisses them. That's what I was just about to go to. I was going to say that, that the number of Gentiles that have emerged here seems to be unusual, and that's what causes the problem. Mm. Because it says that the whole city came to see Paul, right. yeah. but it talks about it being the Sabbath day. So we can only assume that Paul goes back to the synagogue as they asked him to, but meeting him there is not the, you know, 150 Jews and the 25 non-Jews that hang out every week. The whole town show. There's a couple thousand people here. Right. And then, and what we see, what seems... As, as you've talked about a lot, and my dad has made comments on too, the problem with Gentiles in the first century was not that they were some cool Cornelius-like Gentiles out right. there. is that there were waves of them, and they didn't really know what to do with the number. And that's really the same, I mean, that's really the same fear, I think, that expresses itself today. 
part of the reason for rejection of Gentiles and the, and the ferocity which it's done is not just because they're afraid of you as a single person and your influence and whatever else. They're also concerned that if they open the door to you, you'll bring you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of your buddies, because you would, and they'll get you know overwhelmed. And that's the whole idea of Israel. Israel won't give citizenship to basically anyone that isn't biologically and halakhically Jewish. That's right. And their reason is because they can't afford to. They're, they're the only state for the Jewish people, and there are 7 million of them. If you bring 8 million of your friends, they're outnumbered. That's right. That's exactly right. All right. Well, we are uh, sadly out of time. I just wanted to um, talk about Lystra and that city uh, where they got so upset. I, I immediately, like, keep in mind, I'm reading this sermon that Paul does. And if you just ignore that he's moving around a little bit, he gives a sermon, and presumably the same sermon in each place, and at the end of the sermon, you take him out and stone him. That's exactly what happened to Stephen. Ouch. He gives a sermon, and they take him out and stone him. Same deal. But it wasn't his time. It wasn't his time. Can you imagine? Could Talk about chutzpah. They stone the guy. The believers come and they gather around him like, man, he was a really nice guy. <laughs> and the guy sits up and then stands up. Now, I would have been hailing... I'm fine! I would, I would have been hailing a cab and moving to the next town right there. He goes back in to the same town and walks through the town. Can you imagine if you were one of the guys that helped to stone him? Actually, Jews don't pick on him then. Yeah, right. He comes <laughs> back around there later on, too. It's just got to be absolutely incredible. What's up with these guys coming back to life? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, and that, that's possibly what helped to uh, open the door of faith to the Gentiles, too. Well, it certainly happened when after the shipwreck, right? I mean, the snake. The snake. Mm-hmm. He, got, he yeah. got bit by the poisonous snake, didn't die, and they're like, okay, what? go ahead, talk. Well, yeah. you, I'll listen to whatever they've got yeah. to say, you know? Good. All right. So I just I want to just quickly uh, close with, with uh, these uh, kind of framing comments so you understand where we're at in the Word of God. Uh, the Master was probably crucified in 3033 of the Common Era. And uh, last week we were reading at about 42 in the Common Era. And we're probably about 45, 46 in the Common Era. So, so you're clear in 66... The Jews revolt against Rome, and literally all hell breaks loose. So we're coming up to that. So we're about 45, 46 right now. Um, we read to the uh, back end, or middle of middle of 14, I think, right? Um, I think the end of 14. End of 14? Yeah, end of 14. So believe it or not, your, your homework is... Uh, is not to read chapter 15. What is chapter 15 about? Do you know? Remember? Jerusalem Council. The Jerusalem Council. Who's in charge of the Jerusalem Council? James. James is in charge of the Jerusalem Council. James the Council. James the Just. The Just. Is actually killed in 47. 1947. So you've got a problem here. If he's killed in 47, and we're about to read about the Jerusalem Council, there's something that comes before the Jerusalem Council, and it's the book of James. 
So this week, you're going to read the book of James, the letter that he writes to the diaspora, because this is when it was written. Paul is preaching to non-Jews, and they are getting the Holy Spirit. Joseph, Barnabas, whatever you want to call him today, is sending letters back. Bob, what caused them to go out like this? If you remember the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem, the diaspora was caused, right? So they were kicked out and spread. It's James who's now going to write to the diaspora. So you're going to need to read through that. I promise you, I read the entire book of James in under eight minutes, and I did it slowly. In 10 minutes. I think you read really fast. No, 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 I tried no, no, it this no, no, morning, no. and it took me longer than 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. <laughs> I can read that in 10 minutes, and you can too. So I'm, what I write, what I put in the book, in the study guide, was no, we need I want you to just grab your, grab your favorite beverage, five chapters, all right? And just read through the whole thing nice and quick. Don't get bogged down. Just read through the whole five chapters. And then just mull it over for a little bit. Come back to it another day. And then you'll look at it chapter by chapter. I want you to try and summarize it. It's a great letter. It really is. So you need to know where James is coming from because he's about to get a visit. What? All right? That's what Acts chapter 15 is all about. Ten minutes. That visit is, is dependent on you understanding how James thinks and where he's coming from. So next week, book of James, piece of cake, and then we'll get into Acts chapter. Keep in mind, if he's writing to the diaspora, he's writing to Jews. Well, let's not give away the story, but you bet. And you said that uh, we can memorize it if we want to. I did, yes. I think I pulled that line out when I finished up the thing because, you know, I just didn't want to scare anybody. Did I, so, did I take uh, it out? Because I, I always update it right before you guys show up. So each, yeah, of us, I took that out. each of us that does memorize it can recite it at the beginning next <laughs> I, would, I would love that. It is one of my favorite books to memorize. Absolutely. I think it'd take a while to memorize it. I mean, it is a very oh, it it's very short. But <laughs> so. say, I can think of someone else in this room. I believe who's done that. What was that from? Uh, lost bet to uh, to my father-in-law. He bet me memorizing the book of James that he could beat me playing pool with one hand, and he smoked me. <laughs> <laughs> so it and took to me his credit. So maybe you should bet him. To his credit, Again. he memorized the book of James and recited it to me. It was spectacular. It took wow. a long time. But it does. <laughs> it, it is. It is a great, great letter. So, Scott, I am grateful for you. Um, one of the things that we're going to learn about James is that he's very careful with his speech. I think if there's anything that we would all agree, my friend Mr. Martin is good at, is being careful with his speech. My friend, would you close us in prayer? Sure. Uh, we are grateful, Father, for, uh, for the word that you've preserved for us and our ability to, uh, to talk about it, to study it, and to, uh, uh, to share concepts that you have shown to us during the week. With, uh, with, each, with each other during these times of iron sharpening iron. Thank you also, Father, for uh, your servant Joseph, who's taken an opportunity to structure uh, these lessons uh, to lead us through. We pray, Father, we would be found diligent over the next week to uh, study the book of James. 
Father, we pray that you would uh, you would bless us and bless our families. Mm. We pray these things in the name of Yeshua, our risen Savior. Amen. 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 Thank you, Scott. Amen.